morning, everybody. We're going to be reading out of 1 Timothy today. This is Paul's letter to Timothy. We're going to start, we're going to read the whole uh, second chapter, starting in verse 1. First of all, then, I, ex- I exhort that petitions and prayers, requests and thanksgivings be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil, a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the full knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the witness for this proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. As a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, with modesty and self-restraint, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women professing godliness. A woman must learn in quietness and all submission. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first formed, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into trespass. But she will be saved through the bearing of children, if they continue in faith and love and sanctification with self-restraint. Again to First Timothy. This time let's turn to chapter 1 briefly. We'll be there and then we'll, we will spend most of our time in chapter 2. But First Timothy chapter 1. Well, I just want to say, first of all, wow. I thought after last Sunday's sermon there would be three of you that would show up. But you brought extra people with you. Not only did you come back, but yeah. Who would have thought to preach something that's very unpopular today, um, but that people would want to hear more of God's Word, which itself is not popular in our culture, and sadly in a lot of churches. So, um, But God works among His people, and His people want to hear His Word. This morning we'll be talking about building on the foundation, the foundation that we saw God laid for us back in Genesis 1 and 2, which we had looked at a few weeks ago. And last week we talked again, talked about building on that foundation in 1 Corinthians 11 and in 14. And I know that was a, a tough passage to work through, uh, or a couple of passages, not only because of what they what they teach is not at all popular, but just trying to wrap our minds around, okay, what does he mean by that? And so I know it was a little bit tough. I think today will be better, not any less popular, but um, and, and less, not any less hated, I should say, uh, by the world, but hopefully more straightforward as we look in First Timothy chapter 2. And we'll be looking uh, at least in brief parts to the whole chapter. So, building on the foundation, part 2. God, God created man and woman to be partners in dominion over the earth that He had created. They both were created to reflect God's image, both as 
uh, intelligent and creative persons. And so like God, they are, we are persons and we, we are intelligent, we're creative. But then there's some ways in which God's image is revealed in us, manifested in us a little bit differently. So for men, God's image is, is manifested more in the roles of leading, providing, and protecting. And for women, they're going to reflect God's character in being the helper to man. You remember how the Scripture says that God is our helper. All three members of the Trinity are called our helper. And so women, are they reflect God in that way. So she was to help the man. She is also to give life and show things like compassion and mercy in ways that even more so than men do. But God's beautiful design was corrupted. We looked at that in Genesis chapter 3 previously. When they decided to disobey God, they, His design was corrupted. Sin turned beautiful things ugly. And so from Genesis 3 forward, throughout all of human history, that history exposes our need for redemption. And even when we think about those early great leaders among the Jews that they all look to, which in, in many ways, godly men, that w- there are things that we can uh, learn from them, godly things. But at the same time, when it came to the roles of men and women, they, they got a lot of that wrong. Uh, a lot of them were polygamists, we talked about. Uh, there was adultery and other things. And in Jesus' day, by that time, it had gotten even worse. Men thought, hey, we males, we're free. And they thought of their wives of women as basically their slaves, who had little or no rights, who had almost no recourse whenever they were treated unjustly. So to correct this, Jesus and Paul, they remember, went back all the way back to the beginning. They didn't stop somewhere in the Old Testament. They went all the way back to the beginning, to the original design that God had laid out. See, God's design, even though it was corrupted in the fall, it still stands. And and God didn't say, okay, well, y'all messed that up, so we're going to come up with something else. No, He says, my original design stands. And through Jesus, in Jesus, and then through the teaching of the apostles like Paul, we find that in Christ, people can be redeemed. In Christ, God's original design can be restored. What a breath of fresh air this must have been to the women in Paul's day as they would hear him, you know, as as like Ephesians is read to them in their church, to be treated with with equal worth, to be a valuable part of God's program, to have real impact for God's glory. But even in the midst of that biblical correction, Satan was not idle. He sent into the churches false teachers who would oppose church leaders, who would oppose sound doctrine. Just like in the Garden of Eden, Satan deceived women to be discontented with God's design. 
So we've, we've been working our way through Ephesians, and we've had a little bit of a pause right now, and we'll, we'll get to it pretty soon, back to it. But in that passage we're going to be getting into, 522 and following of Ephesians, Paul had laid out the, the role of husbands and wives, men and women there, and you'd think that that... It would have gotten them by longer than it did because the false teachers came in and within a couple years, Paul is having to write this letter that we're looking at today to Timothy. Remember, he left Timothy in Ephesus and he says, okay, you've got some, some work to do there. And so he's helping him with doing that work, giving him some instructions and guidelines to to use to correct those false teachers and to correct the women who were being led by those false teachers into content or discontentment. We're going to see in First Timothy five fifteen, Paul is going to say about some of those women that some have already turned aside to follow Satan. So you can see how there's there's so much connection here with what we found back in Genesis 1, 2, and then 3, right? And we're going to talk about that more as we go through this. So as I said, Jesus and Paul, they went all the way back to the beginning in order to find the biblical principles upon which to build the roles of men and women for the church and for the home. We're going to see, as we did last week, and this is our our main message, New Testament teaching about the roles of men and women is built upon God's original design. And and I say that, and I know probably everybody here, we agree, and like, okay, why are you telling us the obvious? But it's not obvious to a lot of people out there, including a lot of churches, because there are those where the evangelical feminists have come into a lot of churches and... They're saying, you know, no, male headship and female submission, that was a result of the fall. It's not a result of the original design. And so in any way, and we'll look maybe next time at Galatians 3.28, where it talks about, you know, there's neither male nor female in Christ. Okay, they say, see, see, that that means that Jesus came and said, okay, we're just, as a do-over, we're going to do something completely different, and everybody's the same, men and women can all be preachers, they can, you know, and that is not at all what we find Jesus and the apostles doing. So the New Testament teaching about the roles of men and women is built, that teaching is built upon God's original design. So why did Paul write this letter, uh, this first letter to Timothy? Well, here in in 1 Timothy 1, look with me at verses 3 and 4 first. As he said here, As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus in order that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. See, there's the, there are those false teachers he's got to deal with. Nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. And then a little bit further down, he'll talk about how you know they're wanting to be teachers of the law and they don't really know what they're talking about, basically. Okay. Now, go over to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5, see another problem that he's dealing with. I mentioned this already. First Timothy 5, verse 14. Here he gives us some information in the midst of instruction for younger widows. So he's talked about 
uh, other widows, and then now the younger ones, verse 14. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, manage homes, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. See, so what that is, is it's a summary statement of the the typical, and we're going to talk more about that, the typical roles of godly women. Okay, so then he goes on, verse 15. Here's why he said that. For some, some of those women, have already turned aside to do what? To follow Satan. See that connection here? And the connection with Genesis 3? And so how Jesus and Paul come along and they, they say, no, 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 let's, let's, let's shore up the foundation again. Go back to Genesis 1 and 2. That's the foundation. But then the false teachers come in and they're wanting to break up the foundation again. And, and they're leading men astray with their false doctrine. They're leading women astray with saying that, oh, you, you know, don't be content with that, you know, with male headship and female submission. No, you, you women ought to be able to be just like men. You ought to be able to preach and teach and so on. So, first reason for this letter, false teachers. And it's kind of a, it's kind of twofold, but false teachers they were opposing the teaching, the sound doctrine of the church leaders, and they were also leading women astray. Uh, in being discontented about God's design. They're lead, being led away from God's design. That's the first reason in two parts. But then the second reason is this. Uh, look now at 1 Timothy 3. And we'll get here to 1 Timothy 2 in just a sec. So 1 Timothy 3, this is one of those where it's, you know, you, you love writers when they do this. They just tell you straight out, okay, this is why I'm writing, okay? 1 Timothy 3, verse 14. I am writing these things to you, thanks Paul, hoping to come to you before long, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. And he's talking about the worship service there, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. So that's the second reason, main reason why he wrote this letter. One, to deal with those problems and then with false teaching. And then to say, okay, let me lay out for you guys principles you have to follow for the worship service, okay, which is going to have an impact on that, the role of men and women, as we'll see as we go through this. So you can now go back to First Timothy 2. So what we have here in 1 Timothy 2 are specific instructions about the worship service, okay? The men, he says, are to lead in corporate prayer. And in that, he mentions two things they should be praying for. Praying for the for government, and then praying also for the lost. We'll just look at part of that. So, 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority, in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. And then he's going to talk about the loss that he also mentions. They're praying for them, uh, as he says, pray for all men. But look down at verse 8. Verse 8, Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. The, the holy hands means that the men should have holy lives. They, you know, it's obvious that it's a, a figure of speech there. That 
if we're going, for one, we're required, the men are required to be up here to lead in prayer, just as Brandon did earlier um, for us, and, and let us. But we have to do that with holy lives. We can't be cavalier about, you know, well, I sinned a lot this week and I haven't really dealt with it or anything, but I'm going to come up here and pray. No, not at all. That's not okay. We have to have holy lives. And then lead in prayer. And it's not a matter of, well, I'd rather just not pray because, you know, I don't want to have to deal with things. That's not okay either. Okay. We're to do it without sinful anger. And without promoting controversies, what the dissension means there, without promoting controversies. So then after that, Paul turns to women, and we're going to spend most of our time in that section. I know you ladies go, ah, that's not fair, but we're trying to correct some of the misunderstandings uh, from different angles here. And, and this is, is to your benefit, trust me. Um, he turns to the role of women in worship. And and so the first thing he talks about is some of them, by their their manner of dress and their demeanor, they were drawing attention away from the Lord. And a lot of times we get kind of hung up on some of this, but that's what's going on. They were doing things in the way that they would dress and the jewelry they put on and things like that. They were doing that to they would say, hey, look at me. Look at how beautiful I am. Look how rich I am. And And they were wanting that attention instead of, that attention going to the Lord, because when we gather here, it isn't to see like, wow, you know, who looks who looks great today? That's not what it's about. It's about we're here to worship the Lord. And they were drawing attention away from the Lord. Verse nine, likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly. Not with braided hair and gold and, or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works as befits women making a claim to godliness. And so the idea that was built into these words here is the, the mindset of humility. You see, because it's not humility when you're, you're all, you know, we say dressed to the nines, you know, and you're just like, I want everybody to see me. You know, my, you know, $800, $800 dress that I got at half price, you know. No, I mean, that, that's not what he, what he, you're not to be drawing attention to yourself in humility. You, draw, you, you want the attention to go to the Lord. And he says, calls out some things here. First, modestly. Okay, well, it should be obvious, you know, not in a way that um, tempts others to sin. Uh, he says, behave discreetly. The idea there with discreetly is is that of, of self-control dealing with sinful or sensual passions. In other words, ladies, when you, when you decide what it is that you're going to wear, you need to be thinking in terms of, in, in, are my sensual passions determining how I dress? Because I want people to notice me. I want people to look at me. That's the idea that he's getting across here. Not to be like that. Ladies, how you dress reflects your heart. That's what he's getting at. So, you know, if you're dressing in a way that's not modest, it's reflecting your heart that you're wanting people to look. And as I've said before, and this goes both ways. Men must not treat women like objects of lust, but neither should women dress like objects of lust. Some women were drawing attention to their wealth. 
There's nothing wrong with wearing jewelry. Um, Nothing wrong with wearing nice clothes, you know, if they're modest. The point is, why are you doing that? And are you doing it in such a way that you're drawing attention to yourself? And that's what he's correcting here. Again, drawing attention to yourself instead of, or turning, drawing that attention away from God. You know, you think about, you know, ladies, you, you, you come here and we gather so that we can be thinking about the Lord. We can give our, be giving our attention to the Lord. That's what a worship service is. Everything we are doing in this service is to draw attention to Him, to glorify Him. And if you're getting people to look at you, to admire your beauty, to admire your wealth, that sort of thing, you're, you're drawing attention away from the Lord, and that is sinful. And so basically the rest of that, what he's talking about is, ladies, pursue godliness by doing good works. In other words, focus on serving others. You see, the beauty that people see in you, it should be the good works that you're doing to serve others, to serve God. That should be what they see as beautiful Now, going on in that day, women were often left out of the learning process. They, some among the Jews and and Gentiles as well, a lot of times they just didn't even teach the girls. And, And women weren't encouraged to learn and sometimes were kept out of that. Paul commands them to be learners. Look at verse 11. Let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. He's not really just making a suggestion here. This is instruction for us. And then verse 12, But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. God's design is for women to be active learners. Ladies, always be learning. But that can be taken the wrong way, and that's what was happening in that day. The false teachers were coming along and said, okay, yeah, we'd agree with that, but you ought to be teachers, okay? You ought to be teachers in the worship service. And they went too far. So following the rebellious false teachers, women, some of the women were taking on leadership roles or trying to at least. But he says women are to quietly receive instruction. In other words, be a learner. Okay, don't, don't look at it as, you know, so much of, well, you're telling us all the things women can't do. Well, this, what you should take away from this is what you should do. You know, yes, there are boundaries, but you should take away from this. I need to be an active learner. And he says to do that with godly submissiveness. In other words, the idea there is not usurping the roles of men. Not saying, well, you know, as our world does, you know, women ought to be able to do everything that a man does. And so if men can be elders and pastors, women ought to be able to be that too. And no, that's not at all. <laughs> Paul's pretty clear. Paul says, I do not allow a woman to teach. In other words... What he means by that is women are not to teach Bible or theology in the assembly. Remember we read 1 Timothy 3.15. He said, I'm telling you this is what is to happen. This is how you're to conduct yourself in the church, okay, in the worship assembly, okay? But women can teach. GBC elders believe that qualified women 
can teach other women Bible and theology. They can teach children. All women, Titus 2, are also to be teaching other women, especially as you, whatever whatever older means, and I'm not going to define that and get myself in trouble, okay? So, if you find yourself, so if you're 15 and your little sister's 12, okay, you, you're older, okay, and you can teach her. And you, we're Titus 2, older women teaching the younger women in an informal way. So it can be formal teaching women, but informal for sure that all should be involved in. And and we want to to ask that, you know, the, I know there's some folks that say that women shouldn't teach even other women Bible and theology, and we don't agree with that here. Uh, and that shouldn't be promoted here. That's not biblical. I'm going to show you some of that here in a minute, okay? Now, in verse 13 and 14, Paul explains why he says what he says. Verse 13, for it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being quite deceived fell into transgression. So what he's saying here is that the woman's role, as he is explaining it here, is not a result of the fall. That's what the false teachers are saying in their day. That's what the evangelical feminists in our day are saying. They're saying, well, we believe the Bible, we just believe you've been interpreting it wrong. And so they say that the the role of, of the, the man's role of headship, the woman's role of the, is one called it helpership, that is a result of the fall. And And so that is not true. Paul says here it's based on God's original design, based on creation. Adam was created first. Go back to Genesis 2. The second reason he gives is that it was Eve, not Adam, who was deceived. Verse 14. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman, being quite deceived, fell into transgression. What does he mean by she was quite deceived? Well, she was vulnerable to deception, but why was she vulnerable to deception? It's not because she's inferior to the man. She was vulnerable to deception because she didn't have God's protection when she went outside of God's design. That's what's going on here, and it's important for us to grasp this. I'm going to say it in some different ways, so hopefully we'll get that. She was vulnerable vulnerable because she did not have God's protection when she went outside God's design. And along with that, he's not talking about this here, but this is true, too, for us to be thinking about. When Adam failed to lead and protect his wife as he was supposed to, he left her vulnerable to deception. Okay, so, you know, to be fair to you ladies, you know, things for you to take away, but we men need to take away, too. Now, it's possible that, that our wife may step outside God's protection and, you know, we may not be able to stop her, but we need to make sure we're doing our part to lead and to protect. Do you get that, guys? Men, do you, do you hear that? You are to lead and protect your wife. Take that seriously. And... Because we're going to talk about why, but 
you're leaving her vulnerable to deception if you don't. Finally, verse 15, he says, But women shall be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. So what he does here is he leaves the women with a promise of hope. So, ladies, you may be thinking like, okay, you stepped all over my toes, John, and, you know, and, and Paul, thank you. But, okay, now he leaves you a message of hope. Now, but you're like, what kind of hope is that? You say I have to have babies to be saved, right? We'll, we'll talk about that. <clears throat> this this term, uh, in some translations, will have like preserved or something. Uh, it's literally saved. In some translations, will actually put that they're saved, um, and, and that's literally what it is in Greek. There are different ways that that's used in the New Testament. The predominant way is obviously salvation from sin, and that's where our mind goes first. But then it kind of is like, hmm, she's saved from sin by having babies? Hmm, that doesn't quite sit right, does it? Okay. But then it also could refer to physical healing, and it can uh, refer to rescue from danger. Okay, and, and I've given you some verses where you can find, especially with the physical healing and the rescue from danger. And we're going to talk about the First Timothy 4 uh, passage here in a sec, but think about Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Romans 3, uh, a lot of other passages. If, you're, if your brain at first heard women are saved from sin by having children, these other passages should be raising red flags and, and alarms going off in your head like, mm, that can't be. Because it goes directly against Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? And, and so many other passages. Okay, so it can't mean that. Well, what does it mean then? So what we want to do is consider the context we'll come back to in a minute. Let's, let's broaden this a little bit and consider the context of 1 Timothy. So turn over to 1 Timothy 4 and we'll look at verse 16. He uses the same word and he's using it in very much the same way. 1 Timothy 4.16 so after a lot of instruction already, Paul says to Timothy, Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. You will save both yourself and those who hear you. How many people could Timothy save? Zero, right? Couldn't even save himself, right? Jesus saves. And he's the only one that saves. Okay, so it can't mean that Timothy is going to save from sin himself and his hearers. Okay? He's saying that if Timothy adheres to sound doctrine, then he and his people will be protected from false doctrine. Remember, that's a big problem here. Why he's, Paul said up front, I left you here to deal with this. Now here's my letter to help you deal with it. If he adheres to sound doctrine in his teaching, in his own faith, then he and his people will be protected from false doctrine. 
In a book that I've referred to before, God's Design for Man and Woman, Andreas and Margaret Kostenberger explain that this use of save here in 1 Timothy 4.16, in this same letter, helps us understand it. Paul is saying in 1 Timothy 2.15, back to our passage, that women will be spiritually preserved if they devote themselves to their God-given role in the domestic and familial sphere. And then another quote from them in that same section. Paul seems to be answering the question, how can a woman avoid repeating Eve's mistake that resulted in such dire consequences? His answer, they can do so by remaining within their God-given sphere and by devoting themselves to proper activity within that domain. Okay, so this agrees with all the things that we've been saying about God's original design and going back to Genesis 1 and 2, where in Genesis 1 and 2, Eve was spiritually protected as long as she didn't step outside of God's design, the, the role that God ordained for her. So what do women even today need to be protected from? That word saved or protected is the way we would take it here. Well, we, we see that in verse 14, okay, the previous verse. He says there that Eve was quite deceived. You see, it's deception. It's a vulnerability to deception. That's what women need protection from. But remember that the vulnerability is when they step outside of God's design. By staying within the roles that God has given them, assigned to them... They have God's protection. There's one aspect of they've got their husband there to to protect. But even in a more broad perspective, God himself will protect them if they do things his way and stay within the role he assigned them. It is not because of their nature. You see, if we say that, and I know some people do say this, because this, this is hard. We're trying to wrap our minds around this, and people have different ideas, but they will say that, well, it's because of her nature that she was deceived. They say that women are just biologically more susceptible to being deceived. And I don't think that's at all what the Scripture is saying. Because if you say that, you, I think, have to say that God created something defective. Okay? But... After he created man and woman, what did he say about his creation? It was good? Very good. That includes the woman. Okay? So, she can't be defective. And if it's true that women are by nature more susceptible to deception, then we should never let them teach anyone. Now, some people take that view. That goes against Scripture. Think about Proverbs, a big chunk of the book. What are mothers to do? Teach their children, including their sons. Right? So now they're going against Proverbs. Titus 2. They're going against that. Because women are to be teaching women. And, and I know, and we've got a little time here, so go over to Titus 2. I'm going to show you why I think that they're wrong about this assessment. There are people out there who are saying that women may not teach Bible and theology to women. They should never teach Bible and theology to anyone. 
Okay? And I don't agree with that. Titus 2, verse 3. <clears throat> Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. Okay, see, first of all, teaching what is good. How do you know it's good? You have to go to the Bible, right? Old and New Testaments. That's what would tell you what is good, okay? Number four, or verse four, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. How do, how do Christian women learn how to do that? They go to their Bible. The Bible tells you how to love one another, how to love your husband, how to love your children. To be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, okay? Kind. Okay, is that just a natural thing that, that women can have? No, it's called what in Galatians 5, 22 and 23? It's a fruit of what? The Holy Spirit. So, you've got to go to Galatians 5. Okay, that's the Bible, right? <clears throat> Being subject to their own husbands. Can you think anywhere in the Bible where it tells women, wives, to be subject to their husbands? Well, we're getting ready to get into I know you're saying, well, John, you're taking forever to get there. But, you know, Ephesians 5.22, following. You know, Colossians 3, 1 Peter 3, right? It's the Bible. Why? That the Word of God, the what? The Word of God may not be dishonored. How are you going to know if you're dishonoring it if you don't know what the Word of God is and you're not teaching that to each other? You see, so, and I'm not just trying to beat these people up, but um, they they come along and they they say the things that we teach, like here at this church, you know, that we're all wrong and messed up and everything, and it's not true. We're we're trying to take our stand on the Word of God, and and we're saying that, that women can teach in the right places to the right people. But Paul is very clear that women are not to be teaching in the worship service. And I'll, I'll come back. Um, let's see, I think I missed something. Hang on a second. The serpent, remember, tempted Eve, and he tempted her with at least three things. One, to uh, question the truthfulness of God's Word. And the second thing was to doubt God's goodness. And third, to be discontented with the role God had given her. And that's why she went and made the decision herself. He did this again in Paul's day. Remember, we saw 1 Timothy 5.15. Some of those women have already turned aside to follow Satan. Same thing as in the garden. And he does this in our day. You hear the message loud out there. Give up having babies. Give up domestic roles. You should realize your potential by being like a man. You know, it, it sounds terrible to me. You know, that a woman can only be worth anything when she becomes like a man. Like, I don't know, ladies, you ought to be offended by that when they say that. No, it's when you are what God has created you to be. <clears throat> One of the things that, that I did want to talk about, you, you may be thinking, okay, John, you've been talking about the worship service. What about other venues? 
Um, what about you know, Bible studies, uh, Sunday school, those kind of things? Well, uh, at our church, we say that that women shouldn't teach men in, in other venues. So they shouldn't teach men in Bible studies, even if it's on a different night of the week or whatever. And they shouldn't teach men in adult Sunday school, uh, youth. And then we also go to Gary's class with the older children, so older boys there. Um, so we kind of err on the side of caution there and say from, from that class up, it has to be men that teach. Okay, now you say, well, okay, but you told us that First Timothy is about the worship service, so how do you get there? Well, the way we reason is that Paul bases it on creation. And since he bases it on creation, then that is something that's going to apply across the board. And so we'd say that women should not teach men in any of those scenarios. Okay. So why does he talk about women being saved uh, by having children? Why does he bring that up? I think what he's doing there is he's just using that to represent the whole of a woman's roles, all of her roles together, okay, that he has called her to. Why that? Well, that's the most unique role that she has, okay, because we men can, we sometimes will help others. We help our wife. We help other men. Okay. We should show compassion. We're not as good at it as, as God will enable you to be, ladies. But we can't have babies. <clears throat> okay. Praise the Lord. Okay. For a lot of reasons, right? <laughs> Mainly for the baby's sake. <clears throat> but that's the most distinct part of your roles, ladies, is having children. Okay. And so this is, having children is just a, a way of, of, of talking about the whole of your roles, okay? And we saw in 1 Timothy 5.14, he gave a brief summary of the typical, hear that word, typical roles of a godly woman, marriage, bearing children, and managing the household. There are going to be exceptions to that. Some women will remain singleness by God's uh, decree, and some will be childless by God's decree. Okay, and and so <clears throat> uh, we need to recognize there will be exceptions, but those exceptions don't put a woman into a man's role. Some of the false teachers were doing that. Well, okay, you ladies are single, so you should be able. You're not under a husband, so you should be able to teach and preach in the, in the worship service. Not at all. Okay, let's talk real quickly about the word deceived in verse 14. I want to go back to that because it helps to kind of bring a lot of this together that we've been talking about. The word deceived in verse 14, where he says that uh, it was Eve who was quite deceived. The word deceived means to deliberately misrepresent the facts, to fool someone into believing what is false. Okay, we, we kind of get that. We understand that's how we use the word. It also means to mislead someone to follow the wrong path or to sin. We've seen that in all this as we as we've talked about Satan, whether he was working in the garden or whether he was working here in Ephesus. It's the same thing, okay? Now, we see that. But as I said before, the woman's nature doesn't make her more susceptible to deception. You see, it's not that she's less intelligent. She's more vulnerable to deception when, there's a key word, okay, when 
she abandons God's design for her. She loses his protection at that, that point. She's not always more vulnerable to deception. She's more vulnerable when she steps outside of God's role, okay? the role he'd given her. Consider 2 Corinthians 11.3. Paul says, But I am afraid, and he's talking to all of them, men and women alike, but I am afraid lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds should be led astray. See, there's that, what we talked about in the definition, being led astray. Your minds can be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. And so, what he's saying there in 2 Corinthians is that stepping outside the bounds of the simplicity and purity of God's design for us in the gospel, not talking about roles of men and women, but talking about the gospel, but we step outside of that makes all of us vulnerable to deception. Okay, so that's another reason why I don't think that, that women are by nature more vulnerable. It's when they step outside of God's design because we men can be vulnerable too if we step outside of His gospel. Okay. And Paul's not only concerned about a woman staying within that, uh, within God's design, but he says at the very end of the verse, just quickly, He's he's concerned about spiritual character. She must continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. You see what's going on here. You've heard me use this term before, like with, you know, the the two, the ditches. you got God's path, and then we have the ditches, and then there's also this idea of a pendulum, and I've kind of played both of those images, okay? So, what happened in the garden and in Ephesus... Is that, okay, here's biblical teaching, but then Satan pulls the pendulum because Satan is the master of pendulum swings. He, he, he pushes the pendulum over here, and now we're in this ditch saying that, you know, you know men, you, you should treat women, you know, as if they're, you know, a second-class citizen, you know, and, and all, such, such, and such, okay, and, and whichever ditch. And so... So then biblical correction comes, okay? Satan doesn't want to let us stay on God's path for very long. So he pushes that pendulum. And then next thing you know, it's like women don't be content with God's design. You see, and the thing is, is he, he just keeps pushing the pendulum back and forth. And we see that throughout history. So we have where, where men treat women badly. And then, you know, the pendulum swings all the way over here where women are like, oh, well, we should be men. You know, and and so God's truth comes along in, in each of these eras and, and says, okay, this is God's path. And Satan doesn't want to let us stay on that path very long. He's quick to push us off of it one way or the other. And he's a master at that. He knows which way to push us. So, ladies, when you're tempted to be discontented with God's design for you, you know, when the world says, oh, you've got to be just like a man, Remember that that is Satan's deception. And men, when you're tempted to neglect leading, leading your family, leading in various ways in church, such as through prayer we talked about, you too are going against God's good design. And I hope you take this away. Working faithfully within God's design is to flourish. And find true contentment. 
So ladies, I know the world makes it makes being a man look awful great. Okay, it's not it's harder than you think and it's not as fun as you think. Okay. But they make you think that that's that's what you want to you know reach. That's deception and and you won't be contented. You see to work faithfully within God's design is to flourish and find true contentment. There was an article a, a Christian lady wrote, and she used a term in there I really liked. Um, she called herself a happy complementarian. In other words, she's quite happy being in the role God has given her. And she's recognized you know, gifts that could make her think that she could be up here preaching and so forth, but she said, that would be sin, and I'm happy with God's design. And I hope you ladies find contentment. And men, I hope you find contentment too in leading, providing, protecting. Well, as we turn our attention to the Lord's table, if you have put your trust in Jesus alone, and that is the gospel, the gospel is that we can only trust in Christ. We said earlier that you know, Timothy couldn't save anybody. I can't save anybody. You can't save anybody. Only Jesus saves. And we have to trust in Him and in His work alone. The work that He did on the cross and then His resurrection from the dead. We put our trust in what He has done. And because when we do that, then we will be in Him. And when we are in Him... We are being renewed, being transformed, being restored in God's image. And that's what we want to think about today.